It's the second cup of Joe and John with Joe Elvis and John Dwyer. Greetings from springtime, from the loft, from the JTG International Headquarters, the global broadcast center of the loft in East Nashville. It is the second cup of Joe and John. We're getting better at that. I like that, and I like all those titles that we have, which are all true. Uh, this is a podcast from two 30-year broadcast veterans. John, 30 years with his face on television, and everywhere we'd go, people would stop and talk and look and want to know. Did and you myself, send me... Did you sell me furniture at Rooms to Go? That's Stop. where I know you from, no, right? I, and I would say yes and just move on. I was 30 years in afternoon drive time radio and actually had the good ratings and the people that listened. So, uh, but Joe, uh, John and I together. Well, that got you. <laughs> So John and I together uh, have put together this podcast where we like to talk uh, kind of Nashville-centric things, where uh, it's the, the folks that have been in our lives as two guys who have grown up in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. There's lots of great stories uh, that'll come out, and boy, we, we're going to have a good one today. And uh, I know coming off of you last night, talking about a great night that you've had for uh, JTG and, and, and an event that actually that you've been a part of for a decade plus. What, uh, Waiting for Wish? Is yeah. that what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah for the Make a Wish Foundation, which, which is the board that that I served on, that was a, that was a lot of fun. Uh, but yeah, JTG International Headquarters. This is actually uh, the workhouse of my wife Lindley. Uh, we're in East Nashville. It's a 1925 cottage. Uh, it was a triplex, a duplex. It's perfectly flawed. Uh, we are just off of Five Points. <clears throat> we're up in the um, in my office, which was used to be my my closet during my TV days, I had that many suits. This is a very small office, but it would be considered a very big closet. But one quick story about moving to this in 2008, and our guest is he knows everything about East Nashville and has his footprint here and and uh, and in 12 South as well. But uh, when we moved here, uh, we we put the offer down in August of 08, and then closed in December. Um, which was the worst timing in the world because the world collapsed in September, but we already made the offer and it was taken. But we would drive by here every day and this is going to be our home. And we have an alley and then we have a pad where we park our two cars. Well, we came by one day and there was all this spray paint and it was in the alley and on the fence. And I went, what have we done? Are we, are we like on gang turf? And so we were concerned. My wife took pictures, sent them to the East uh, Nashville precinct in Trinity, on Trinity Lane, and the cop got back and said, um, "You know, she's like, you know, did we did we buy in a bad place? Are we okay, ma'am? Those are NES markings. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna get new water." <laughs> <laughs> the lead pipes are going. I was so embarrassed, but no lead pipes. So, so, so we're at a good place, and we and and we love being here. And again, Nashville centric podcast. I, I kind of think about it as being where are they now? Kind of a thing with people in our lives, and it doesn't doesn't mean they're like you know retired because this guy is cranking it more than ever and more relevant than ever. But wonderful stories 
from our guest today, Joe. Nashville, uh, I moved here in 1978. And so uh, part of my history is going to Bowling Green, Western Kentucky University, which is where I met our guest, Mike Grimes. And if you say Grimes, anywhere in the country and in the world for that matter now, uh, your cool level has just been upped as Grimey's new and pre-loved records is uh, one of, is the hottest uh, music store in town. Mike has two venues of the basement where it all started, a cool little club, and then his new basement East, even bigger and better, over here in 37206. So if you've never been to Nashville, East Nashville used to be the place that you probably buy weed and then rush out of. And now it is the hippest, most trendy, most probably expensive place in Nashville to be. And Mike has established a home of music and his uh, new location on Trinity uh, lane for his record store. Mike Grimes here in the JTG studio. And Mike, hey. Hey, Joe. For coming back, babe. Hey, John. How are you guys? So, I'm great, man. I'm, I got the first question of let's let's just press a quick rewind and you can do a fast forward. Uh, we met in the uh, mid 80s. You're in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Mike's working at the record bar in the mall. Back in the 80s, the malls were the place place to go uh, for music. So um, maybe let's rewind there to talk about how you got to Grimey's Presence, because uh, one of the first times I've met you, you had more albums than anyone I had met. And the 80s at that time at the record bar, I mean, that's where people went for music. It was a happening spot. Yeah. Uh, and basically, you know, but I have to go back further if you want to kind of go Take if we want to be chronological, and, 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 and let me just go back a few more years real quickly, uh, because basically, you know, everything that has uh, transpired in my career, as it has just unraveled over the course of uh, 40 years, you know, I basically, because my mission statement was started in 1975 when I saw KISS. I saw KISS in front of less than 2,000 people in Owensboro, Kentucky, ticket 005, $5. I'm standing in front of Ace Freely from Kiss, five feet from him. And I said, this is all I'm ever going to do. Music is going to be my life. If I play music, if I work music, that's it. I don't want to do anything else. So basically the longevity of my career basically encompasses only eight to 10 months of non-music related employee employment my entire life. That's great. <clears throat> so just real quick, we'll get to Bowling Green. And just it won't take it won't take long to get to Bowling Green. Hey, okay? You take it. <laughs> so, basically, fifteen years old, sixteen years old, I get a job at a record store. Isn't that great? The ultimate job that you want. Waxworks Records. Uh, unfortunately, video games were really hot at the time. In the mall where I worked, there was an arcade that was about fifty yards from the store. Oftentimes the store down from the orange Julius, I believe. Exactly. And exactly. Jay Riggins. Yeah, and, and, often, Chess and oftentimes the store would the store would be, you know, business would be a little slow. There'd be yeah. two of us working. I'd be like, well, I got 15 minutes. You stay here. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go play missile command. So because I'm making 295 and I'm gonna blow half my, my yeah, hourly wage. Whatever, on that. Yeah. yeah. So long story short, I uh <clears throat> I got caught playing video games and got fired from my first record store job. Uh, <laughs> And then just, I actually uh, got another record store uh, gig with a, with a mentor of mine, a guy named Carl Graham. He had a store called New Attitude Records that basically uh, encompassed a lot of in-store play, a lot of 
hosting a party every day, which is really what inspired me whenever I opened Grimey's. And um, he didn't I, do a lot of research when he hired you, did he? <laughs> Actually, you know <laughs> what, what happened with your last job? And, and you know what? And then, then that's then I ran that store into the ground and it closed. <laughs> so really, if you look at my two my my two forays into record store employment at the beginning. I was kind of a wow, cool, I was nailed kind of, it. I was kind of a colossal failure. Yeah, you were. You were. Yeah, you figured. Well, I'll, I'll keep with this because I. Well, I mean, what else? What, how bad can it go? Third time's got to be a charm, right? <laughs> well, it was okay. So then, basically, you, now you fast forward to, um, you know, basically, I had to figure out how to at least because I wanted to be. I wanted to be in a band. Everybody wants to be a rock star when they're eighteen years old. It's back then, anyway. So while I was trying to figure out how to be in a do the band scenario. I was in a metal band called Viper for a little bit too. I don't know if we talked. Wait, it, talked was that, that spelled V Y P? Did you get? No, it's V I. It was V I P E R. Yeah, okay. it's the era where you had the logo even before the name. Yes, absolutely. Because that was that was that was the thing. Yes. You, you had to have that. You have the. Sure. By the way, were you a member? Because this is gonna. Because I'm a Kiss guy. All right, I was in the Kiss Army. Right. Were you in the Kiss? I Army? was not. Why? Why the hell not? Uh, that's that's the I, fan. Group. I didn't want to wear the uniform. Well, I wore that. I got the gold no. necklace that said "Kiss" on it. It turned my neck green in three days, but it's it's part of my freshman picture. Uh, September first, <laughs> it is September first, uh, nineteen seventy six, uh, at Notre Dame. Kiss, uh, not in front of two thousand, but they had Destroyer out, so that was bigger. And the warm up band was um, Bob Seger and the Silver oh. Bullet Band. Oh yeah, how about that? That's good. I had my corduroys and my uh, my my cheesecloth uh, shirt on. Sure. Thought I nailed it. But anyway, no, I I have that kiss thing, and I I don't know why my parents ever allowed me to put posters up with them and stuff. They I go, mom, what did you listen to the words? Like like um, plaster caster. Put your hand in my pocket, grab onto my rocket. Right, I'm right. Like, that's right. poetry. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, literally, Kiss inspired more kids to pick up a guitar than any band that's other than the true. Beatles. That's without true. a doubt. Sure. And it took them forever to get to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which I thought that was a huge injustice. Yeah. I, honestly, I don't, I think the Rock and Roll Fame, it's a joke the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is jive. It's a joke. I don't place any. I don't place any kind of credence in that. No, a lot of people, a lot of people don't. I didn't, I digress. I didn't. Until government cheese gets in it. Now, you you know, the rock and roll hall of fame is the shit. (laughs) Government cheese is in the rock and roll hall of fame. I never said anything bad about the rock and roll hall of fame. Yeah. No, anyway, I didn't mean to, Mike, I took you off track there, but um, I love Kiss Army. And that was was a big part of my life. It was a big influence in my life. And um, so, you know, I I get how that, so you, so you struck out twice and the third time it worked out. Yeah. So basically, I'm lazing around the house at 19 years old and my mother is like, you're working part-time right now at a, at a, at Medley's distillery. Like, you know, one, one of the little small time, smallest uh, ventures into uh, non-music related employment was working at Medley distillery, feeding whiskey bottles down to a line to be filled up. Uh, and, and she said, it's time for you to get out of the house. Mm-hmm. Time for you. You got to go. You got to go. Well, I don't know what I, I don't know what I want to do. Oh, why don't I go to Western Kentucky University and just fake being a student? That'll work, right? Bye, mom. So uh, basically, enrolled in Western Kentucky University, took some classes, but literally, I knew that I was never going to get out. I knew I was never going to graduate. It was just basically a ruse for me to find 
some other guys to play music with, hopefully get maybe a record store job in Bowling Green, which I did. Actually, when I first moved to town, I got, I, I lucked out and got Again, a job. did not look into his past. <laughs> no. It was pre-internet. Nobody knew that. Yeah, you could do Google Mike Grimes. and no. I mean, you do it now, and you, God knows what comes up. But Yeah. That's I, impressive, though. So you kept with it. You got the job. Got the job, and uh, basically had a band in Bowling Green and uh, worked at Record Bar, and really was very, very comfortable there. I mean, I was around government cheese. I was around all these great buddies. My buddy, Jeff Sweeney, who was the manager of Record Bar, it was my mentor. There was no reason for me to not stay in Bowling Green other than my girlfriend at the time said, hey, um, if you really want to do this music thing, let's move to Nashville. And if you don't want to move to Nashville with me, I'll move to Atlanta with my friend and 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 meet and live uh, with my friend, Kitty. That's how so you basically got my girl, girl? My, my, You chased a girl uh-huh. to get here? You remember. He knows her. Stephanie. Yep. Does she talk to you anymore? Yeah. Okay. Uh, she she lives back in Owensboro now after four husbands. Oops. Four husbands. Something like that. Good, good call not to not to hook on. You good weren't move. one of them, right? Good no, move. I was not. As a matter of fact, she and I moved to, uh, to twenty five fourteen uh, Belmont Boulevard, and within six months, it was over. But I was in Nashville, which was great. Should've and bought, I got should have bought the place, Mike. Just take imagine what it'd kidding. be worth. You are not kidding. Oh, um, God. And uh, that was kind of the, and so, so basically I had a band and I got it. I, I transferred from record bar to record bar in, uh, in, uh, on Hickory hollow. What's the other one up in Hendersonville? Uh, Rivergate. Yep. Yep. And, um, was kind of comfortable there for a little bit. Actually, you know, I, and, uh, basically I had a band and I had a job, a record store job. And then I wanted to do, uh, I got really tired of working at the record store like that. I was like, hey, this is just, I don't want to go drive to Rivergate Mall every day. I was living on Belmont Boulevard yeah. and Tower Records was there. So basically um, I was fortunate enough to um, get a job working at Tower Video for a little bit. And while I was working at Tower Video, the record label guys would who basically sold records to Tower Records um, we're in there regularly, and I'm like, I want to land a job at a record label or, or a record distributor, you know, and uh, basically ended up getting a part-time gig as a as an inventory clerk for Capitol Records and then Sony Rec- and then Sony Music. So basically, it was always like, and still balancing having a band. Uh, the band that I was in at the time, Go Go Surreal, had broken up. Um, but here I'm now I'm landing on having a kind of a record label type job and pursuing more music uh, band scenarios. And uh, basically through uh, a number of friends playing local gigs uh, and hooked up with uh, my friend, Will Kimbrough from Will, a band called Will and the Bushman. And he and I and Tommy Womack from Government Cheese started a little fun project uh, called The Biscuits. And it was just us having fun. And after two shows, three shows, um, uh, Al Benetta from John Prine's label, Oh Boy Records, sees us and offers us a record deal. You are what a charm life. And what what we didn't mention, we should have we buried the lead here is you you through the years you have accumulated some three thousand plus albums. More like seven or eight thousand. I'm sorry. That's way okay. I lowballed it. I'm sorry. How I mean where first of all, I don't even know what that looks like. That's gotta be just look like what you hey, our neighbor's a hoarder. <laughs> right? I mean That's you, right. I mean it must have looked like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, basically the reason I wanted to get into working for record labels was to get free records. You couldn't download music back then. Nope. There was no, 
there was no Spotify. There was no nothing. It was like, if you wanted to hear something, you had to have it. You had to physically own it. And I was a ravenous music fan. I love every kind of, I've, my, my, my tastes go from, you know, throbbing gristle to Joe Diffie, whatever, you know, but I was like, I have to find this avenue. I have to find this avenue to acquire all the music that I want to hear. And so working for a record label did that because we would exchange promos with the other label guys. And that's how I accumulated a lot of the stuff that I had as well. So, um, so you got the bands going and Bisquicks and then, uh, how did, how did you get the, in the record store business? I mean, Clearly, you had inventory. I just kept doing well. So, uh, so uh, basically, Sony Music ended up hiring me full time. Uh, Sony Music Distribution hired me full time as kind of a merchandiser, uh, local promotions guy. Uh, but I, I, I was actually um, promoted, and and I moved to Atlanta for Sony. And I literally put my bags down, started this gig that I thought would be a, a dream job, basically servicing stores like. Uh, Grimey's independent record stores mm -hmm. that were carrying their uh, Sony's alternative records, like, you know, Pearl Jam and this stuff like that. Radiohead. And, uh, mm, yeah. yeah. And um, literally within a few weeks, I was already uneasy, but like flash forward five months into my foray into living in Atlanta with this job, this supposed dream job, I was like, I'm not supposed to be here. And I went into my boss's office and his name was Barry Mogg. And I, I said, uh, hey, I just want to thank you for the opportunity that you've given me. And he goes, what are you talking about? I said, I can't stay here. He goes, what? I said, I got to go back to Nashville. Do you have a gig or something? I'm like, no, I just know I'm not, I'm not supposed to be in Atlanta. I had literally not unpacked my records. I literally had five, 6,000 records in moving boxes I had actually taken all these boxes and arranged them like a throne. <laughs> and I would sit in the middle of this throne with my turntable in front of me. And I'd, I'd come back, I'd come back you. from the job that I did not like every day. And it was music related. And I would come back and in my apartment in Buckhead and I would sit in this throne of records and I would listen to all these records that were not Sony records. They were records I loved. And I would sit there and go, what am I doing here? I can't. I can't stay here. And you didn't. I packed my shit up, came back six months after I'd, I'd moved there. And people were like, what, what are you going to do? I'm like, I have no idea. And the second, <laughs> we might be talking a long time, guys. So <laughs> we're only in 1988 right now. <laughs> no, we're in 94. Oh, we're in 94. We're, we're 94. making progress. Let's cut oh off. God. That's 45 minutes we'll save. <laughs> yeah. You can edit however you want, you know. <laughs> Drop my bags. My buddy Johnny Jackson calls me and goes, hey, what are you doing? He goes, uh, I said, I, I just moved back from from Atlanta. So he goes, you want to go to Jamaica? Oh, I said, God. what are you talking about? He goes, I was supposed to get married. Didn't work out. Uh, got a non-refundable, uh, you know, all expense paid trip. That's uh, a country song right yeah, there. He's like, 200 bucks. And so I go on his, I go on his uh, honeymoon with him to Jamaica. <laughs> <laughs> did, he have, did he have the soul satisfaction going on at that time uh it was right it was right when it was getting started yeah okay what's yeah. that 
Another, another, to, another part of old Nashville, you know. John Jackson's sole satisfaction uh, was uh, used to be where over here by it started. At, it started at Springwater. What was it? a store? It was uh, he played music and it was a DJ night. As a DJ okay. night, it was absolutely packed. It was absolutely the place to be. It was enormous, and uh, it was a great success. And, yeah, it played. And, it, it was basically he he was just playing retro funk. Yep. Retro funk oh, and R and B, and it became a. It was a party that started at the Springwater, and then it was four hundred people at the Springwater every Friday, and we're like, he was like, I got to take it somewhere else. So, it's, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so yeah. ultimately, uh, he ended up taking it uh, to three twenty eight Performance Hall and the extra mm -hmm. space they had there, and then to come in station. And he was a really good friend. Actually, I kind of helped him a little, get the programming going on that a little. You know, I've, I've been at that. I didn't realize that that was the name. Yeah. I went to the ones that come in station. Yeah, yeah, what that was, was that? a fun night. Ish. That, that was about nineties. Seven. So yeah, 96, so, yeah. 90, I just got here in 96. So, yeah. Fast forward side story. Yeah. We would always have pool parties at my house on the weekend, my first house in West Nashville. I lived on a court. It backed up to channel four. It was the woods and we had a pool and my wife, Kim and I just got married, no kids. And we'd have 30 plus people over there. It was Grimes, Johnny Jackson, a lot of the music. Uh, we we're all music. So of course, it didn't start till two in the afternoon when, you know, everybody had been up a half hour and they would just come on over and we'd play water volleyball all day. And so later, one of those party nights, Kim and I are in bed and we're like, what the, what is that? And I open the window blinds and it's John Jackson with three girls at 5 a.m. who's wandered back to my house after his uh, soul satisfaction gig. So that, that was just a great era of creativity. But, you know, how brazen was that for John Jackson, Johnny Jackson, to come over to your house, sneak into your pool with a bunch of chicks and... You're 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 sleeping because you got to get up and you know do the weather the next day or whatever. You I'm know? a big fan. I don't know this guy, but that's so. Sounds, that's uh, good. Final sub story to that was every first pool party. I didn't have a heater on that pool, so it was a little bit cool. I had a hot tub up on the upper deck. Hot tub pools down on the lower deck. So here's again the same 30, 40 people baked already, and it's two in the afternoon. Mike Grimes would christen every year by being in the hot tub. Here it goes. Sands all the clothes, totally naked, up on the top of the hot tub and launches into the pool below. <laughs> and, you know, this is like a seven foot. We could all stand. So it's right. like a five. And you, had to, you had to clear about seven or eight feet to, to land did. in the pool. What, what the could go tub. wrong? What could go wrong? Actually, I, ne I never bit it. I never. I, he but, did a good job. But our buddy Joe did once. He tried. A friend of ours tried to do it once. He didn't fare so well. He's not a pro. There's always like a copycat. You. And uh, yeah. Joe Moss. Jump boys, you know launches, what? Bunch of boys launches with the same turf, falls short on a, approach by about four feet. <laughs> Bam! Ass first into the side of the pool and went in, and we're like, he's dead. And you know, somebody get him out, but he got out. Oh man, I think I missed it. <laughs> I think I missed it. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Got the big spatula, so, got him off the pavement, and put him in the pool. Just kind yeah. of a review of that time period. Is there a, is there a sub story to that sub story? No, no okay, that was just because uh, you went just, you went deep, you went granular. Oh, that was, that was good. pretty good. Just to feed the vibe of that era, there was just everybody was good friends, and a lot of times your jobs came from other jobs because you knew someone else. And this is pre-internet, and that was the way it worked. Yeah, I mean, you were in radio. Yep. You know, I was, you know, I've been working yeah, for record labels. Yeah, what were you doing? Okay, you're... Actually, well, then, no, no, that's what I'm saying. I, I dropped my bags, went on a, a honeymoon with Johnny Jackson, and then come back, and I'm like, 
what am I going to do now? I get a phone call from a friend of mine who manages some artists. Uh, he manages an artist named Ron Sexsmith from um, Toronto. And you've probably heard of Ron Sexsmith, but anyway, he was a very, he was a very buzzworthy artist at the time. Elvis Costello was talking about how he's his favorite singer, favorite writer. And he has this uh, tour opening for Elvis Costello. And so basically uh, I was asked to be the tour manager for Ron Sexsmith for these two weeks of dates opening for Elvis Costello. Have now, you ever let, been a tour manager? No, well, that, of course let me, not. Let me, <laughs> wait, wait till you hear this one. <laughs> I mean, that's, it's one of those things. You know, here's there are all the things that you want to do. You try them and then you mark off the things that don't work out. Mm -hmm. This is the prime example of one of those things. Cause a, I had no sense of direction and there was no GPS. I couldn't even unfold a map correctly. And I'm driving these guys around to the hotel and I'm supposed to have all, all the, uh, the agenda, like take care of the, get them into the hotel. I can't, I can't do that either. I had, I had no sense of organization. I was driving around this, these two weeks with one contact in my eye. <laughs> I lost one of my contacts. I'm like, I got to go. I don't, I don't even have the money to even buy any new contacts. And I'm driving new, I'm driving into New York city with one contact in my, and I'm not a good driver in any kind of traffic. You, you learning. are a miracle it that was you're crazy. even here talking today. Well, so, so basically we do the two, we do the two weeks and we're settling up with uh, Ron's manager, Mike Dixon, an awesome guy. And I'm sitting across from, from him. And uh, as we're settling things up, uh, a kind of a little dead silence comes on. He says, uh, I, well, before we wrap this all up, I just want you to know that Ron really likes you. And I said, that's great. I said, I love him. I love mm -hmm. these guys. They're so much fun. It's awesome. You are without a doubt the worst tour manager he has ever had. <laughs> but you suck. <laughs> and I'm but like, you're the so, worst. so check that box off. <laughs> Although I did, I did. So, get, so, yeah. so who, who are you the tour manager for next? <laughs> no, I, well, I, that's how much they love me. I, I did go oversee one little couple of dates in New York about a year later with the same artist going, you, you know, th you can do this. You can at least do this. And uh, so not, that was my only foray into tour management. But you got the best album title ever, One Contact in My Eye. Yeah, that's right. So uh, long story short, um, long story is long. It, is it? Short story long. <laughs> is, it, Sorry. is it, Mike? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, I literally had not touched a guitar for two years. When I actually, when I got, whenever the biscuits broke up in 94 and I started focusing on working for Sony Music, I literally never touched a guitar for two years. And uh, as I got back to Nashville, I had somebody ask me to come, come play a gig. Um, and uh, through a, a course of events, my uh, former roommate, um, well, actually, we never even talked about us being roommates. No, uh, Joe. But anyway, um, you've got to open your store here in Nashville first. <laughs> right. <laughs> we're, we're not even. We're not we're even, not even opening a we're store. We're not even Grimey's yet. Even not even. Store okay. Yet. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> we can edit some of the stuff too. Uh, like long story short. Well, because actually, that all, it all, it it has to ramp up to right. you know <laughs> the drama's building, man. I'm sure. You, I'm sure you can't. You can hardly contain yourself. People are out staying there, in their cars, listening to this, going, "I can't. I I need to. I need to walk the the I, Greenway again I twice. Have to pee. We're not <laughs> pull over. Riveting. No. My roommate Bobby Bear Jr. Former roommate Bobby Bear Jr. Um, are you kidding me? Yeah. yeah. Holy, you're dropping names now. This is good stuff. Well, he he was my roommate. Okay. Anyway, he he goes, "Hey, uh, do you want to come?" 
I just got a record deal. I'm like, what? And he, he literally had just started writing songs and he wrote one song that basically, um, happy Walters, who has the label that corn was on immortal records heard this song and he goes, I want to sign you. I'm like, you got a record deal based on one song. And he goes, do you want, he goes, you want to come make the record? He goes, you want to come make the record to me and go on tour? I said, well, I'm not doing uh, Sure. Of course I want to be your tour Absolutely. manager. Absolutely. No. <laughs> that was now in, in my job. So, okay. so we made a record for um, uh, Immortal Records, uh, went out and toured 250 dates. And wow. It's about 250 shows in about a year and a half. Um, and then when the um, wrapping up the uh, our touring our tour schedule opening for the Black Crows for about five weeks, which really that's, that's the kind of thing. That's one yeah. of those things. You, that's another thing you mark off your list. Sure. Oh, oh, I got to go play arenas for mm-hmm. five or six weeks, yeah. uh, opening for the Black Crows. We became great friends with those guys, still are. And um, then I quit the band or was fired, depending on who you ask. <laughs> <laughs> I say I quit. Gray area. I, I say I quit. Bobby says he fired me. I said, dude, we actually came to the same room to say the same thing to each other and looked at each other and said, this isn't working, but. When their next record came out after I was supposedly fired, it, it said in Billboard magazine that Bobby Bear Jr. fired Grimey. And I was like, hey, well, oh, I don't remember it like that, but hey, you know. Freaking um, journalist. But anyway, so whenever I quit the band, I thought I thought I would get in another band quickly. I thought, you know what? I've got a pretty decent pedigree here, you know, uh, two record, two bands that were on two awesome record labels, you know. And tried out for a few acts and it didn't work out. And I'm sitting there with, with these 7,000 records and CDs and I'm going, what, what am I going to do next? I have no idea. And this is uh, September of 1999. And uh, a friend of mine had a vintage clothing store in Berry Hill. And she goes, well, why don't you just rent the place across the street? I'll help you get it. And you can start a record store. And I was like, that's a pretty good idea. You know, and actually, I just really felt like there was no Floyd's Barbershop of record stores anymore in Nashville. Mm-hmm. I was like, you know, because Lucy's was about to close down and I loved them, but it left a void that I really thought needed to be met, you know. And so I take December 1999, I take my seven, 8,000 records and Grimey's is born. But that was a huge risk because albums weren't happening back then well no it wasn't just vinyl it was vinyl cds no no i mean was, we were selling most it was we were selling mostly cds sure the vinyl the vinyl revolution was around the corner isn't that amazing? and we were prepared for it that's but, what i mean yeah you were you were, it you, were was. you had inventory were yeah. you when you sold would you sell the albums that you had i mean i, I so I, so you never had that that had to be like giving away children in some way no because i'm i i i, I just knew that if I was going to start a new business venture, I couldn't just keep all the records that I wanted to still listen to. I had to like, just, I put every single record that I had amassed through yard sales, through my record label jobs, everything. I was like, this is the inventory that will start the business. Mm-hmm. You, which is good. You didn't have to have a huge cash up front. Was the store an overnight success? Um, well, the reason that I called it Grimey's was because I had, I, it was such a big, gamble i was like you know what if this doesn't work out maybe some friends of mine will see my name on the shingle and have some pity on me like well let's go hang out at grimey's i mean let's go hang out with him he's got this business maybe it's not doing anything but it's sort of but pathetic. you know i'll look over and hang out and have a beer with him you know yeah. and uh 
we were fortunate that basically I started it by myself with a $1,000 loan and one of my best friends, Brad Jones, who lived in Berry Hill and I played music with, he said, you can live in my house for rent free for one year. I'm like, and we're, and we're off to, and we're off to the races. That was it, you know, and literally, um, things actually quickly started taking root. And that, again, I'm going to keep bringing up the era, was a great network of musicians and friends and folks that would come to your store, come to Chase's store, come to Mike's store, come to mine. Uh, We were living together just before that. I tagged in on the end of what was uh, now demolished in Nashville, but it was a huge kind of old house with apartments. And we're on the very, very top. And that's where a lot of those thousands of albums were on racks that were bending and it was Mike and uh, a couple other guys who had lived there and they had the divorce room one bedroom that was <laughs> tiny as a closet and friends mainly musicians would move in there because they just got dumped or something and uh, that was how I ended up in there yeah and you were freshly out of a relationship you ended up here was your room, room. <laughs> and so I replaced a guy named Chris DeCroach who uh, was a m- musician himself and was hanging out at the time with this beautiful gal who was playing at the Ace of Clubs down on second. She's a songwriter and trying to make something happen. And uh, her name happened to be Dina Carter. And so those two got married. Oh my. And then she had Strawberry Wine come out and absolutely took off. That went like a rocket ship. And yeah. then Mike's other roommates, a guy named Mike Romanowski, who just won three Grammys at the last award show. And he uh, mastered our government cheese album that's sitting right in front of you as well. And here you have Grimy as Grimy. And it was just uh, it was just a great era. We'd have, there'd be parties all the time. The phone number was Cowslaw, C-O-W-S-L-A-W. And if you had that, you knew and you called and you were invited up. And uh, it was a rooftop apartment where you could just literally step over the rail and comfortably walk up and have a view and take the the girl that you were with that night up uh, on up on the roof on the roof or hit golf balls towards Vanderbilt, which we did. And it was just it was a great era. So the birth of Grimey's and Barry Hill uh, would be just a hangout and you would probably just hope they would spend money. You're going to stand here and buy something all day. Yeah. And, <laughs> it, 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 and literally it did it. It took off reasonably quickly. Uh, nobody was getting rich, but I didn't have to be rich because I had a free place to stay. And all I had to do was like pay the $500 a month rent. I mean, it was $500 a month to rent a 600 square foot house to house this business. Uh, I, I want to go back quickly. Did At what point of your career, of the trajectory of your, your this timeline, did your mother say, I'm proud of you? Uh, after my mother Kicked me out, yeah. you know, basically not kicked me out, but said, right. you got to, you know, she was always proud of me. Yeah. Okay. Even regard, regardless of the fact that at, I, was, you were trying. I was in neutral for a while there, yeah. but even while I was in neutral, she was proud. Okay. And because my, my parents were hardcore live music fanatics, they went to see Sinatra 25 times. They, Engelbert Humperdinck, all this stuff, the Osmonds, my dad, there's a photo of my dad and a video and a, and a, a, a recording of my dad singing with Marie Osmond in like 1982, you know? So, the, so everything that I was doing that was music related is basically was, was, was definitely blessed by my mom and dad. They loved it. They were very, very proud. And, and they were proud when you, uh, when you became a, a bar owner. Uh, can we segue to that or am I, yeah, am I but, but you didn't, and we didn't well, mention the, you, we didn't mention slow bark. Uh, we talked about the basement and the basement Easter in the, in the original intro, but basically 10 months after Grimey's opened, 
it was funny because I actually had some money. I was like, wow, yeah. I got money. This is crazy. And I was actually in the studio um, uh, with my friend David Gerke uh, uh, in East Nashville at Woodland Street Studios. Still where there. Basically, yeah. Gillian Welch and Dave Rawlings own that now. But we went into the studio to to put down tracks for Josh Rouse's third solo record. And uh, as we walked out after after the session, I looked across the street, and there was a place called Shirley's. And it was a little beer bar, just a little, like, you know, rundown beer bar at the corner of uh, 11th and Woodland Street. And my the drummer, my buddy David, we were like, we were talking about wanting to start our own little thing. And we looked in there and said, you know, this location might be great. And so we walked in, uh, sat down and had a beer. And I said, uh, are you Shirley? She said, yeah. I said, how long have you been here, Shirley? She said, I've been here 17 years and I'm ready to get out. And I said, oh, really? She goes, yeah. And somebody wants to take over the lease and turn it into a Tennessee Titans bar. And I said, I looked at my business partner and I was like, or my, my business partner, I looked at my buddy, Dave, who became my business partner. I said, uh, this might be the great spot, right? And I said, well, hey, Shirley, if if I talk to the landlord and just pay you for the contents of the, the building, like there was a couple of coolers and some stuff, I said, said, you want to get out? He goes, yeah, absolutely. So I called the landlord. This is my complete school of hard knocks, ridiculous naivete. I've displayed naivete in everything I've ever done. And just falling forward accidentally. You know, I don't know exactly how. But anyway, because I didn't know what she wanted to get out of it. I mean, there, nothing there was really even worth anything. I said, if I write you a check for $10,000, you want to close right away? She goes, I'll have, my, I'll have my going away party, closing down party Monday night. And so I wrote her a check for $10,000. She was gone 72 hours after we had even looked at the place. We did just a little bit of changing, little couple things. And it wasn't, it wasn't even going to be a live music venue. It was just going to be a beer bar with a great DJ, with a great uh, uh, jukebox. Called? Slow Bar. So basically, we just came up. I said, I said everything is too fast. Everything is too fast in Nashville. Everything's too fast in life. The word slow really appealed to me. And so I said, why don't we just call it Slow Bar? We opened four weeks later. It was packed. Completely my, packed. My wife, uh, I didn't know her at the time. Uh, when we moved to East Nashville, she saw she that was one of the first, very first things when we drove to this international headquarters we're in now. I think she saw Kings Leon there. Would, would would that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before I mean, yeah, like I say, initially we weren't going to do. It wasn't going to be a live music venue. But I had some friends that wanted to do some garage rock one night. They said we even have a little PA. So they came and set up their yeah. little two-column PA, and it was awesome guys, guys that play with Lost Straight Jackets and and just amazing. And, and they played this amazing, like, 60s garage rock, and I'm like, and and it was in the, the it was electric. And Ryan Adams was recording his new record at Woodland Street Studio, so he was there coming over and hanging out after they got through, and his band members were friends of mine. Well, he's there that night, and, and I get his bass player leans over at the end of the night and goes, Ryan wants to come play tomorrow night. And I'm like, okay, I don't have a PA. I'll, I'll, I'll make something happen. Sure. So next night we have Ryan Adams, you know, comes and plays an hour set. You know, we just got the word out. It was only like, you know, 60 people there, you know? And then we just continued it as this beer bar with a jukebox. And then I get, I started getting more opportunities to, 
to book live music. And if after you book so many live music events in a place that's supposed to be a neighborhood bar, well, some of the regulars just stopped dropping off because they didn't want to pay cover to see some show that they basically didn't right. they didn't know who it was. So I had I learned the craft of booking accidentally. Because I started a beer bar that started to do some live music, and I had to start booking it every night, or nobody would come. I was like, "Shit, I have to! I literally have to have music in this room every night of the week now, or I won't have people, and I won't be able to pay my bills." And so we lucked out because Exit In closed for a little bit due to some alcohol infraction or something, and so really there were just not as many clubs in town. And over the course of the less than three years that we had the slow bar there, I had um, Ryan Adams, Kings of Leon's first two performances ever. I mean, they were young. They were so... They, they were, were pups. Yeah. yeah. I was like one of them was 15 years old at the time. Mm-hmm. Which more, is legal, yeah. right? You, yeah. you can have a 15-year-old yeah, yeah, playing yeah. at a bar. I'm no, sure. we actually kicked them out afterward. You're like, after you're done, you got to go. You're not supposed yep. to be here. That's how, that, that's how it was at the time. <laughs> we'll feed you beers out in the parking lot. Yeah. And then... Uh, I had Black, my I had Black my Rose? my morning jacket, my morning jacket. Yes, that, a friend of mine managed them, and basically they, nobody knew who they were then. Mm-hmm. And then I get an I get an email asking, uh, "Hey, can you book book my band or book this band that I'm representing? They're called the Black Keys, and we need oh. and we need a hundred dollars." And I'm like, "I don't put out guarantees for any bands. It's all door deal." I said, "They just need a hundred bucks. Come on." So they can open for this local band called the Alcohol Stunt Band. Send me the CD. Let me check it out. Because you couldn't just access music on, mm-hmm. on the end. So basically he sends a CD of the big come up by the Black Keys. And I put it on. I'm like, oh, shit. This is incredible. <laughs> and so basically they come open for uh, the Alcohol Stunt Band. There's about 100 people there. I get them their 100 bucks. And uh, the next morning I, I email the agent. I'm like, okay, that was incredible oh my god everybody loved it we got to get him back and he's like uh they just got the shins tour they just got this they just got the beck tour they got well, they they, they, won't, they, won't, they won't be back here for a yeah. while thanks for the so, hundred bucks yeah so <laughs> i got them for a hundred dollars and i'll say the shins too uh one of the shins oh, yeah, back in the day yeah. and uh, and the postal service if you know the postal oh, service yeah. yeah so it was like literally this moment in time and, no, and nobody took pictures either there's no photos ah there's there's two photos of the black keys playing that are black and white and grainy. Isn't that funny? Because if this was today, and it probably couldn't organically happen today anyway, but you'd you'd have, you know, it'd be on your Instagram feed or it'd be on this, and and it's it is a shame that you don't have that kind of wall of fame or that you know, those pictures. Oh my goodness. Yeah, but uh, but we have a friend named Chris Herrick. Um, you know Chris Harris? Oh, yeah. yeah. And he lived in East Nashville, and he came to a lot of shows, and he recorded a bunch of them. Oh. So he actually has recordings, not of this, not of, of any of the bands bag. that I mentioned, yeah. but he did, he, did a, he recorded a band called the Mountain Goats, who are quite, still quite very, quite famous, and some stuff. So there is some documentation, but nothing like you would do, you would have now. Right, right. And uh, so anyway, long story short, and I'm, I'm, Coming to the basement. We're getting to the basement. Okay, we're okay, almost we're, to the basement. We're almost to the basement. We're that'll moving up to the basement. Hour three. That'll be that'll be part. Now two. we're at the basement. <laughs> so school of hard knocks lesson. I have to close the slow bar. Bad landlord. Bad business partner. Yeah. Uh, I basically, you know, there were some taxes I was not paying uh, uh, that I didn't realize I needed to be paying. I thought, right. and, and, as you do, I guess. And long story short. 
ended up closing down and uh, I went back to just working at Grimey's. And then we ended up moving Grimey's to 8th Avenue from Berry Hill. And there was a club underneath it called The Basement. And I talked to the, uh, our, the owner of the building and I said, can I do some shows here? So I did a handful of shows. And then our landlord just said, well, why don't you just take it over? And I went, cool. You're my so, kind of landlord. <laughs> yeah. So basically we moved Grimey's to 1604 8th Avenue within six to eight months after we moved to, to 8th Avenue. Um, I took over the lease with a business partner for at the basement and we just hit the ground running and just started having a blast. And that was, that was February, 2005 and 2005. And the very first band on the very first night was a band called, uh, Manchester orchestra. Yep. Who are like huge now. Yeah. they're But yeah. nobody knew who they were then. It was like them and three other bands doing a publishing showcase or something. And it was like, and flash forward and you, there you go. So the store's upstairs, the club's downstairs. And I mean, it looks like a basement. You have your literally stone, like cave looking walls. And it was kind of a cattywampus stage. You'd be in one room, you could go into the main room, then you go out back, smoke a cig, and then there's the parking lot. Uh, but two things out of that era to me were then you established parking lot shows in that big back lot, which yep. were always great. And then Mike always had, uh, uh, Mike, I don't know, he's always had a love of beer. And so you can drink beer in Grimey's upstairs and the records, they would have beer happy hours, sort of. And you'd Beer listen, 30. Beer 30. And you'd listen to music, have a beer. And once again, you know, he's, Mike's always been great at establishing this is the place to be uh, through, through music and personality. But it'd either be happening in the store, in the basement or in the back parking lot. Yeah. And I mean, really at the core of everything that I've done, that I've achieved and if I'm if I'm known for anything, I hope it's to, it's that I've helped create a sense of community. Uh, and that's of utmost importance. And really, if you look at everything that I've done, the trajectory that I have has all been, um, peppered with contributions from friends who help you get, I mean, my thing is like help and help other people just be that person who like helps other people get what they want and you get what you want. And it's, it's completely true. Okay. Be, before we get to our 10 questions, okay, um, I do want to, and this is a perfect segue of, of helping, it would be um, journalistically, it, it would be malpractice if I didn't ask you during this selling CDs and, and records and then the record vinyl comes back. But I, you know, there was that moment where, where downloads and Napster and all this just, just, put the record it put the recording industry you know upside down Fletcher Foster who worked at uh, Sony I served on the Make-A-Wish board with him and uh, he served as president for like one day and then they needed a new president because he said this downloading is we have to figure this out and we are way behind the genies out of the bottle so his world he said I can't be the board president and that's kind of how I fell into it and it helped me be doing what I'm doing today, but how did that affect your business or did it? Uh, well, I, be, I brought my business partner on at Grimey's uh, a little bit less than two years into it. And that was at the, that was really at the dawn or the genesis of the downloading uh, phenomenon like Napster and all that, you know, and we had to really just keep blinders on, you know, we were like, you know what, of course we're, Physical sales are going to suffer as a result of people being able to get, I mean, look at the iPod. Oh mm -hmm. my God. What a, what an invention. 3000 songs. Yeah. Boom. Oh yeah. And, and literally, you know, 
if we didn't look at, at our future as like being rosy in some way, like basically just don't, it was like, we couldn't worry about it. It was like, of course we're going to lose some incremental sales from downloading at the core of it. People are still going to buy CDs and the vinyl thing was right around the corner, which is really cool. Cause we yep. started seeing vinyl sales pick up. We used to, you know, and basically over time, vinyl sales shifted or CD sales shifted over to from 80% of uh, the format that we sold the most and 20% vinyl to where now, you know, almost 20 years later, vinyl is 90% and CDs are like 10%, you yeah. know, it's yeah. kind of crazy. But the dawn of, uh, I mean, the revolution of vinyl uh, and its rebirth is so fresh now. And it's so, there's kids now who just like, what is that? Like, you know, I remember a, 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 a years ago, a kid had his dad and their a dad and his kid were in the record store and we had a demonstration record player and the kid didn't know what it was. And he goes, uh, <laughs> so, 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 he, uh, so his dad like takes the record and he puts the needle on the record and, uh, and the kid's looking at it and he goes, what happens now? How, how do you switch tracks? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, you know we're we're glad that Grabby's has been part of that education <laughs> process for the for the younger youngsters who are coming up and loving vinyl. Yeah, you know, it's so great. Oh, oh and uh, what you've got a uh, we'll put it in present day mode. You have a new store, even bigger, in a church off Trinity Lane. So if you come to Nashville, it's off Gallatin Road, Trinity Lane. Grimy's pre loved, uh, new and pre loved records and anything else you'd want to get. And your new club is the basement east just down the street from here from our international global broadcast headquarters Walk, and walking distance walking because i've done it before and it's it's you know what 500 plus venue huge uh you you're getting every big act that is in the world i even think you're a live nation uh gig now too aren't you Are yes you they actually they, they they program our room that's great and so uh you've really hit a pinnacle now of you're on everyone's map for a tour stop uh, here in Nashville, and you got drilled by the tornado that came from uh, came through and destroyed this part of town. And you've made a great recovery, and everything's back uh, and going strong. So, um, you know, uh, present day tense in the music industry. Folks are back on the road. COVID squashed you, uh, but now things are back strong. And um, I don't know. You know, I mean, what's what's where is it for you now from here looking forward? I don't know. But but I, I, I didn't mention the fact that I literally, as I said, you know, I, I wouldn't be where I am if it weren't for having an incredible business partner at Grimey's Doyle Davis and store manager Anna Lundy and, and the team there. I wouldn't be anywhere if it weren't for my business partner at the basement, uh, Dave Brown, who was also my partner in the, in the basement East. Uh, literally, you have to share everything that has we're, if, if I'm fortunate, it's literally because of the people that came into my hemisphere of being. And I would, there's no way I would be where I am without, without people that I work with and, and that are part of this. It's just incredible. Every day I'm, I'm, I'm grateful. Well, we're grateful that, that it's rebuilt. A lot of the businesses, um, you know, we're, we're, Within a seven iron, or or for you, Joe, a, a four iron from where the where the tornado where the tornado blew through uh, the very room we're in. We lost we lost the window. So um, uh, you don't have to do a deep dive, but uh, just a little bit about uh, learning 
about the tornado on March 3rd, 2020 that came through uh, and, and, uh, and took out everything but a mural. Essentially, right? Essentially, yes. Yeah. And and you know that this was not the first time that the, a tornado had hit that particular building. The, the tornado of April 16th leveled two-thirds of that same building 22 years ago. And it's been rebuilt not once, but twice. Twice. Yeah. And what's incredible about this, you know, about our rebuild is it was built, it's built better than it was before. Um, we are so grateful that through... The way that this worked out, I mean, our landlord's insurance company rebuilt the building uh, and then the Save Our Stages money that uh, came to us via the government. Uh, both of those things have just helped us remain solvent and fluid through those skint times when we reopened and people were still afraid, a little more, a little more afraid to come because of COVID, because there's still mm-hmm. COVID in the air and, you know, we were doing shows, but a lot of shows were not as well attended until, and now we have a lot of sellouts in front of us and it feels really good. And it's a cool venue. Saw Beck there a few weeks yeah. ago. I mean, I, I, like, he's going to, he's going to play. Oh my, my good. We can walk home from that show. And, and so we did. And his friend Taylor Swift from Hendersonville, uh, even at time in that tough, tough time, COVID and tornado damage at once uh, stepped in and helped pay your employees. At Grimey's, at yes, Grimey's, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, Taylor Swift saw that uh, that we were going to be closed through the beginning of the of the COVID pandemic, and uh, wow. came along and helped out with uh, our payroll. helped us Helped us keep our employees on payroll, and actually, we were, we we were able to pay because we we basically figured out how to be an online business too. Because there was a few months where we were completely closed, and we were so fortunate. And it's another thing about all your friends in the music industry coming to your to help you out and to your rescue. We had, um, we were able to have Jason Isbell sign a thousand copies of his brand new record that came out last summer. Uh, and we sold a thousand of them online autographed, you know, sold them all over the world. And so basically we've, we've, we've pivoted to having a, an online component to the record store that we had a very small, we sold t-shirts and stuff, but we weren't, we didn't sell that much product. And now actually we sell a significant amount of product on, uh, online now which is yeah and what he won't say is the 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 little uh child that came in that didn't know about the record player and wanted to know the next track that was taylor swift i believe yes what is this thing (laughs) what crazy is going round and round questions ask your questions time for questions all right here we go 10 questions Questions. we have questions questions Questions. i'm gonna pass if i can't if i can't come i'm gonna do my best i'll do my best sorry I and I know, I know you're on a time schedule, so I... Oh, no, we, we, no we, we're, we're good. good. Okay. He has to okay. be on CNBC. Maybe you are. All right. No, I'm, I'm, dude, I'm, I'm here He's all day. He's going live I'm, with the network. Oh, also, my apologies if, if this interview ended up being more about my trajectory and not as much about East Nashville. We certainly talked about East Nashville no, quite a bit. Perfect. But no, this is, this is good. Don't, well, I mean, that, what are we going to say? He's right here. I mean, what am I, yeah, you, yeah, I mean, wait, he's right in the gone. room right now, Joe. I can't, uh, all right, first question. One of your biggest pet peeves is oh my biggest pet peeve by far and away and people have seen it all over my social media. People who back into parking spaces ah. by far my biggest pet peeve of all. Why and why does that bother you? Because by and large, backing into a space inconveniences the person who's who, who's behind you. Oftentimes. People say, no, but then you save the time when you're pulling out. I'm like, yeah, but as often as not, you're inconveniencing the person who's behind you while you're backing in. 
And I, and I feel strongly about that. And it's way fun to talk about it on my Facebook page, on my social media. They, people, people go back and forth. I've had hundreds of responses whenever I post a photo of somebody back then. I'm like, uh, uh, see it. And they're like, dude, get over it. Or somebody's like, yes, I totally agree. And don't you think it's funny on social media that when you post something like ridiculous, like I posted, uh, near Rose pepper, people turning left onto Cahell, um, uh, not, not, not Cahel, um, uh, uh, Chapel, Chapel, um, or I thought it was Chappelle when I moved over here. No, John, it's just freaking Chapel. Just cha- chapel man. <laughs> but they don't, they chapel. pull, they pull, but they're making a left and they don't pull up far enough to let the 20 other cars behind them go. Move the frick up into the intersection and turn. Left. I mean, I'm a, I'm a 15 out of one to 10. So that that's my that's my back. Let's in the celebrate these first world problems, y'all. Well, yeah, but but that's the one where I'll get fifteen hundred comments. I mean, yeah. the one about me, you know, I've got a world peace thing that I can solve, and they're like, Nah, I don't think so. All right, Jeff, don't go to Texas, Mike Grimes. Everyone in Texas backs into their parking spots. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll stick with Austin. I'll stick with Austin. Whoop, whoop. What was the What's the last book you read? You do read. Do you not read? I, I, I read musical biographies regularly oh, yeah. on the reg. Uh, and um, the book that I am reading at the moment is the uh, autobiography of Al Cooper. Okay. And no? if you don't know, not Alice Cooper, although Alice Cooper is one of my biggest heroes. Mm-hmm. Um, but Al Cooper actually is a studio musician, producer dude, played on um, Like a Rolling Stone mm-hmm. when he was like 18 years old, started Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Discovered Leonard Skinner, produced their first three records. He's done a million things, and kind of like a Billy Preston ish, if yeah. you want to, you know, somebody that got onto. Yeah, well, he just he he's kind of like you know he's kind of a Forrest Gump type guy. He's yeah. just been around everywhere. He's awesome, cantankerous, sarcastic. Lived in Nashville. Uh, he moved to Nashville for about six years in the in the early two thousands, and had a yard sale on his way out, and was uh, selling all of his a bunch of stuff and invited all the rockers to come to his yard sale. But everything he had for sale was like just some old t-shirt of his. It was like 20 bucks. I'm like, it doesn't, it's a white t-shirt and because it belonged to you. You're selling it for 20 bucks. And I was like, Oh, by the way, can I, can I use your restroom? Like in the house? I was like, I didn't need to use the restroom. Can I go in the house? Use your restroom? It's like 20 bucks. He said, no, you may not. And yet you're still reading his book. The book's incredible. Is it? Okay. Suggest a, a great biography to someone. What's what's one of the best you've read? Oh, I've read so many. I don't Just know. I'd, I like literally uh, Al Cooper. That, Al Cooper. Al Cooper. Sammy Hagar's is a good one. I read that. Yeah. Uh, just he 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 makes triple the money probably in his business adventures. Uh, minus all his ridiculousness to Sammy Hagar. Oh, yeah. He's just an interesting, he's way more diverse a guy than what he comes off as. And the Paul McCartney in my life is really fantastic. It's like 500 pages and you don't want to put it down. There's a brand new Led Zeppelin biography that uh, is very exhaustive. And uh, I heard an interview about, I heard an interview with the uh, with the writer the other day and he delved, and because of when he decided to start the book about three, two years ago, two and a half, three years ago, it's very heavily, um, it, it very heavily addresses the Me Too movement and what was going on with those guys back then. He was like calling them out. You That's know? interesting. Oh, well. I did read the one about Led, Led Zeppelin that came out really in the seventies. I think it was Hammer like, the Gods. Oh God, that was good. Yeah, that was good stuff. Yeah. There's those, another Nashvilleian. They, Robert they should all be dead. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Robert, they, they Robert should Plant. All be dead. Yeah. He's not Nashvilleian. He he bought a farm down there in Franklin. I think. You ever see him there? 
Well, I know. There's been some spotting. He's at Loveless Cafe. I've seen him around town. uh, He's been at your club. Oh, yeah. He's come to Grimey's a bunch. As a matter of fact, uh, there's a, a... a kind of a special needs guy, a customer, a customer of ours who's a classic rock freak. Yeah. And he happened to be in the store one day when Robert Plant walked in and literally it was a Chris Farley moment where basically yeah. the, the air sucked out of the room when this kid saw that it was Robert Plant and he walked up to Robert Plant and he said, you used to be in Led Zeppelin, didn't you? And Robert goes, yes, yes, I, I, I was in Led Zeppelin. Yes, I did. He goes, Think you guys are ever gonna get back together? <laughs> and he goes, "No, we actually leave that uh, that kind of thing for rubbish bands like Yes." Ah, that's good. Whoa, calling out what is it, Ian Anderson? What? What? No, uh, no, that's Jethro Tull. But Jeth- yeah, oh yeah. But anyway, see, I got my got my, got my <laughs> I was so close to answering with a, a good comeback, and that that sucked. What would have been I, funnier had 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 he say to that young man, "I do believe we are." And he would have the scoop of the lifetime. He'd feel great. Yeah. I met Robert Plant uh, backstage, Starwood Amphitheater, my Joe Elvis days at 103 KDF. Principal of Moments just came out. Uh, uh, big Log, In the Mood, that album. And I didn't realize, he's a, he's a huge guy. I'm six foot. He's probably six two mm-hmm. and with a head like a freaking lion. This mane of hair that just explodes out. Like a sphinx. Huge. A tall guy. He can dunk. He must be able to dunk. Uh, but just, I mean, a tremendous guy. He's been to Grimey's a lot. I've seen your postings on that. He's a good guy. He right? loves Nashville. I mean, the most approachable. I mean, he, yeah, he, 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 doesn't, he doesn't travel with any kind of security guards yeah. or anything. It's just like, hey. He did his uh, Allison Krauss records and I stuff. I love both of them. I think they're, they're fantastic. It's ter- ter- terrific. Okay. Uh, we went way long on that. That's okay. Only, that's only question. We, we can keep yeah. going. Most outrageous uh, thing you've ever done and gotten away with. Oh, I think I mentioned, oh, I think I told you guys about this when we talked before. Um, uh, I jumped naked off of, uh, not your hot tub. Oh, I jumped naked it. off of... Uh, the uh, <laughs> off the roof of a hotel in uh, Greece into the pool. I guess I got my practice at your place, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> you got and I, I jumped and I did you got it. Your tw- apprenticeship, and I did it <laughs> twice, so we make sure we got it on video. Oh yeah, because yeah. the first time, yeah, that yeah, they're very smart. Yeah, so just jump jump naked off the roof okay. of a hotel. That, that's kind of Led Zeppelin-ish, you yeah. know. Where's that video? Holly Williams was who I was playing with in uh, in Greece, and she has it somewhere. And Holly time, Williams, yes, Hank wow. Junior. Oh yeah, yeah. And every time I see her, I'm like, she's pretty will girl. You, will you please give me the video? Just give me the video. <laughs> she's amazed at your shrinkage and just laughs her ass off constantly when she it watches. It wasn't really you hard back. to pixelate that out. It I was didn't take a lot yeah, of pixels. It was not hard That's, to yeah, pixelate it was like it was one out. pixel. <laughs> like, I was going to say one pixel, one and a half pixels. Maybe so. Hey, this is hard to ask a guy who owns music. Um, what are you listening to now? What'd you listen to coming over? What's in your CD player or what's on that latest download? Wet Leg. Have you heard Wet Leg? I and love Wet Leg. Of course. Um, and, and they they're playing at heavy rotation. And they just played the basement east a few weeks ago. I've been and do, did they, WNXP they is playing the hell out of it. It's it the record came out two weeks ago and debuted. It's a debut number one in in the UK. Really yes. good, f- kind of a funky, cool sound. I really like the sound. They're so good. Yeah. I played the basement. East, then I went to South by Southwest. I saw them three times in one week. Great. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's good stuff. Wet um, leg. Wet leg. Wet leg. Uh, <laughs> nickname growing up. 
Grimy, of course. Yeah, okay. But actually, like I guess I've had stupid question. I've had a number of different nicknames over the years from different people. And I think that that's testimony to having lots of awesome friends at different places where somebody, uh, our, our dear friend, Jeff Sweeney, my mentor, uh, record bar, basically name, he calls me jinky for some reason. I don't know why, but you know, I've got a few. So, and, and, and many of those people you named earlier that helped you, that were your support and helped drive you to success, you left out a big one, my brother, and that's your wife, Mindy. Oh, absolutely. She's just tremendous. So, uh, Mike has two uh, young kids. One of them is actually on the cover of our Government Cheese album, The Late Show, You can that, uh, which is the album that came out before that. So, what what would you give as the best tip for being a dad? Oh, that's a good question. Oh, wow. That's a really good question. Um, because I picture you as probably you let your kids get away with everything and Mindy's coming up behind you going, you can't do that. That is exactly the truth. <laughs> she wears the pants. I'm the one who wants to go play in sandbox with them and like, you know, just have fun, you know, and that is the, that's the hardest part to me about being a dad is my inability to discipline to the degree that they need to be disciplined. And I'm just admitting that right now. My wife is like salt of the earth. She is incredible. She's also not scared to look at my son and go, kid, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> stop, stop chewing on cardboard. Start, stop putting that knife in your mouth. Oh, come on, Mindy. <laughs> Come on, mom. Jeez. Yeah. So. Go ask your mom. Uh, right. Thank, is you, that, Mindy, is for, thank you, Mindy, yeah. for being uh, everything. Perfect. Yes. Mm -hmm. All right. Here's my final question. Uh, and then, Joe, you can go. Um, what would be the title of your autobiography? I think I know I could nip around the one? edges here. You have one? For you? Uh, you've often said, I don't know you that well, but but uh, I, and I'd like to get to know you better. I think you're a cool guy. And, and thank you for all you've done for East Nashville and for, for taking chances and, and, uh, but you, you often say you, you haven't worked it, you know, uh, it'd be, I haven't worked a day in my life. Yeah. I mean, find something I mean, that you love yeah, and you'll yeah, never yeah. have to work a day in your life yeah. and make that, make that your, if you can get paid to do something that you love to do, you'll never have to work a day in your life. I am not hiring you to run a record store. Right. I mean, you do it very well, right. but, but, uh, uh, maybe so the, maybe the name of the book would be, I'm never going to work anyway, a day in my life. I, yeah. I like that. That would be I good. think it should be Grimy's wet leg. <laughs> okay, I'll take it. I've okay. got you've got a better name. We, we, one of the great things about Mike is there there'd always be a circle of dudes, and everybody would jam on what would be a great album title or a great band name, and then the, <laughs> the, the titles and names just get better and better by the second. Well, you know, and ideas just ideas just float around. My and this is not related at all. But yesterday, I I was in the bathroom and I saw, you know, the little things of potpourri or little spray bottles that you use in the bathroom, you know, sure. I was like, we need a Grimey's records potpourri bottle. Like what a weird place for it to be out of context where you see the branding of Grimey's when you walk into the bathroom in somebody's house and you're like, wow, oh, wow. So minty. Yeah. It's great. I All like right, it. Sir. And it's been met with a resounding no. You a lot of silence in your in your creative oh, meeting. Yeah, not only no, no vehement vehement non silence. I like it though. Hell no. You know I'm more here. than your employees. Come on. So oh. if you were allowed to uh, all the bands that you've been in, I think we kind of underscored Mike's ability as a musician. He's a great player, and uh, that's probably helped him rise to this level of success. But if you could join any band right now, any band that's out there, who would it be? Wet leg. <laughs> yeah, yeah you, you, you knew that was 
Here's the question because they, they I, I think of uh, uh, Scissor Sisters. I think it just, I'm not trying to think of other things that they sound like. If I was to play, well, this is what I want to know because I do this on uh, uh, Pandora. I want to know if they're popular enough to have wet leg radio and I can just play like, like yeah, absolutely. Like, like like sure stuff they, they, I know they, they play. do, uh, and there's a, a woman front singer I think right yeah there's it, well, it's two girls but there there's a primary singer and a, okay. and the other girl plays guitar I haven't done enough research are they are they uh, uh, visually attractive uh, yeah they're okay. cute yeah. they're really they're cute. cute but okay. literally what's great is about is the the primary singer girl she's there's you just want to pick them up and hug them I and mean, when they're performing yeah. they're so charmingly intoxicating you're like. I want you guys to be the biggest band ever because I just watch you play. And I'm like, you deserve it. You guys are the best. They're great. Yeah. And the thing about it is, is they may be the flavor of the month. I don't know that, that, that their next record is going to be huge or anything, but right now I'm like, there's, there's nobody more fun than these guys and they're enjoying it. They're not, they're not taking the piss out of other people. They're up there doing this thing and it's, it's charming. It's fun. The lyrics are hysterical. They drop the f bomb every now and again, and at the right places, it's, it's great. Cute. Yep. it is cute. Do you think you'd be able to book them again? Basically, no, that's that, that's they're, they're that's too big. That, that's the hard thing about running a five hundred about yeah, running right. clubs. Period. Yeah. Is your help? Is you help them on the front end? You mm -hmm. get them on the front end. Mm -hmm. You get them at the basement, which is a hundred fifty cap room. Then ne ne next time you get them at the basement east, which is the five hundred seventy five cap room. Well, I don't have a bigger room than that. Yeah. So it's like, well, uh, we got you guys. One time, maybe we'll get you on the way down, but you hope that they're just like, basically you, you get them one time, they sell out. And my thing is always like, why don't That's you come back guy. next time and play two nights? And they're like, no, nah, we don't do that. No, we're good. No, we, we don't. No, we don't no do we'll go to Brooklyn nights. Bowl. We'll go to Eastside Bowl. We'll go, we'll go to wherever uh, the next room, you know, the, the yeah. 1200 cap room and then the Ryman and then, you know, but it's that, that's every day. I love getting up and doing my job because there's a variety every single day. And we're helping these kids that just moved to town play in a club where people are happy for them to be here and not yeah. look at them as like, you know, furniture or something, you know? You, you know what I just read? And part of the, among my uh, reasoning uh, to, to do this podcast, Joe, one is to hang out with you, which, which is uh, we're, you know, we get along and, and I, it's wonderful to reconnect with you, but uh, is to chronicle some of the uh, influencers of Nashville and, and Mike Grimes is, is right up there. And so, uh, Mike, we really appreciate your time and doing this. Thanks for coming over to East Nashville. You live over, I'm going to guess. I nope. I live in Woodbine. Do you? I live okay. right around, right close to the soccer stadium over there right yeah, on yeah. the other side of, uh, on the other side of, okay. of uh, Nolensville road. But that's just kind of where I've, I've been in that area for the last 11 years. I've lived in East Nashville. I've hopped around, and couch surfed. I've had people who said who bought houses, but they don't live there. Like, you want to live in my house for five hundred dollars a month, a full house yeah. in two thousand three to myself. Yeah, that ain't happening. Eddie, no, Eddie. <laughs> no. You could put a two in front of that five, and it's and maybe. insane. Yeah, no. But uh, anyway, thank you so much for your time yes. and your stories and and your investment here in in Nashville. And you guys are doing an awesome thing too. Thank you guys so so much for like let me come and hang out and I don't know exactly this is going to turn out exactly the way you want it, but it is what it is. And Joe is a dear, dear friend of mine for so many years and his band government cheese, new rec 
Cheese's new record is fantastic. And they're playing at the Basement East this Saturday. Uh, but uh, I just want to thank you for everything that you've done to uh, enhance my life over the years. Oh, I love you, my brother. So Do I need to like so, get, get out of this room and you guys just uh, hug it out, out or something? Or I, yeah, yeah, I don't know what you're doing here. It's just uh, Mike's a true success story from you heard yeah. sitting on the couch farting and watching Golden Girls all afternoon and eating his grilled cheese sandwich to yeah. uh, living out his dream. Feeling like he's never worked a day in his life, uh, a true industry leader, a mogul here in Nashville with a lot of connections, and Mike promotes Nashville brilliantly. So if yeah. you're hearing this outside of this city, uh, everywhere I fly in the world for my job, and they say, you're from Nashville, give me three restaurants. Give me three cool places to go. Everybody wants to come to Nashville. So you got to visit Grimey's uh, New and Pre-Loved on Trinity Lane, Basement East, Basement on 8th Avenue South. So I'm just so proud of you, Mike. Uh, we need 100 more of you in this growing, beautiful city of Nashville. So good stuff. Yeah, it is good stuff. Well, this has been way fun. I appreciate fun. that. By the Thank way, when I uh, uh, work out, my wife and I work out at the uh, CrossFit gym behind Grimey's. Uh, and, and I, I'm so, uh, pre it's always busy. The parking lot's busy, but the one day I loathe and cuss at Mike Grimes is, uh, there, there's a national vinyl day or something like and that. It's this Saturday record, uh, oh, record store day sugar, because I'm not doing this morning workout. We couldn't get through I mean, the line, the line out the door is, and they, they've got to get parking. I mean, it, yeah. it is Stunning. And this year, Taylor Swift is the ambassador for Record Store Day. And she has a limited release 45 that there are so few of. There are going to be Swifties camping out like crazy. I'll bet you there'll be 300 people in line Saturday morning at 7 a.m. I'm going to Uber to Stay the gym, I think. Me. I'm not that's, even going to. Seriously, that's probably what I'm going to have to do. No, that's, that's okay. Or not go. But, uh, you know, Joe, you were talking about Nashville, and we'll just wrap it up with this and how things have changed. But, um, and we'll, we'll probably address this on other podcasts, but uh, talking about how much it has changed. I have some in-laws coming in uh, this weekend and the hotel they're staying at, the restaurants we've selected, uh, if you can get in, uh, uh, and, and the venues. Now, we're going to go to Basement East, uh, but most of these places weren't there five years ago. And when you talk about changing Nashville, I mean, you just, there were days where we all could, hey, the new restaurant opened up. It's uh, uh, off of 28th behind Sweetwater. It's Acorn. Okay, so we'll go. I mean, Acorn's not there anymore, but you can't keep up anymore in Nashville. Um, so I look forward to having other people on that can address that, uh, you know, and, and talk about the history and how it's changed good and, and not so good. It's tremendous. Uh, my wife and I are Nashville Predators ticket holders who went to the game the other night and I've been out of town for about a month and I felt like the whole city had grown uh, when you walk out on broad now what used to be the old convention center is now this enormous village community campus of restaurants there's an apple store on the corner and then you go to the right and you've got lower broad and we don't we stay away from there that's where all the girls on the uh newlywed girls. parties the, the pedal girls bars yeah. yeah yeah they got the cover bands in the country so we went to old red we were just walking around just to have a, a beer and uh the folks in that bar were from massachusetts they're from colorado they're from michigan they had planned their whole vacation that year just to come to nashville and sit there and listen to these cover songs and blake shell bar and uh the city's white hot and it, it it was just great it was great it's 20 bucks to park 700 bucks for a hotel room but uh hey that's the one thing and and, and and boy we could go on a tangent but i the one thing i don't like and i understand it's it's capitalism and it's supply and demand but 
I don't like the optics of the hotel rates. We're paying them this this weekend, and it's 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 ridiculous. It's not South Beach. It's not L.A. It's it's Nashville. And I know you're paying for convenience, but I don't like the gouging. Um, and look, if there's somebody that runs in a hotel or a hospitality, say we got you know our ass kicked in COVID, we're making up. And so I don't. That's another story. That's another podcast for another time. But um, anyway, Mike Grimes was great, and Joe, good to see you. Uh, happy flying, Captain Thank Captain you. King. He's got his uh, he, captain's wings. He's flying for FlexJet, right? I'm flying for FlexJet. Uh, we fly private charter. There's two industry leaders, NetJets and FlexJet, and. Uh, my my last eight days, I was everywhere from the Bahamas, New York, Mexico, Palm Springs, Atlanta, Miami. Uh, I don't know what these people do for a living, but we fly the fancy people around and um, well, got to good. meet got to meet Barry Manilow. That, I, oh, <laughs> he looks if great. If you played Dead or Alive, he I may great. have lost that. He looks great. I did not. I did not know that. Barry uh, Manilow. Barry like, Manilow, Dead or Alive. Oh, uh, wait yeah. a minute. Wait a minute. Yeah. I, no, he's he's alive. Is he dead or is he alive? Well, and I, I actually, oh, did the, the game, I thought you, you I'm sorry, if you're playing the game, dead thought, or alive, are they dead or alive? I, I probably thought, would have lost that. I, as I think maybe, band. I thought maybe you thought Barry Manilow sang the song dead or alive, which is actually Bon Jovi, who's really kind of having an issue with his voice recently. I'm not sure I've if you've heard, heard he's that. gotten, he's gotten skewered. Right, I on, on may social have a media. stroke or something, yeah. but man, there's like, oh no, it's I, like I've Lou seen. Lou uh, Lou Graham of Foreigner, didn't he? Uh, he, he had a he brain can't. aneurysm and never really recovered. Oh, now oh this bad. is really I this is a great know. conversation. I did not. This is <laughs> yeah, let's, let's start. Let's end, let's end on a yeah. Did you hear what happened to Mama Cass <laughs> and, and Karen Carpenter? Uh, yeah, I mean, if if Mama Cass would have given Karen Carpenter her sandwich, they'd both still be alive right now. Ah, you just that's one of the best jokes ever. Yeah, and I'm glad he's going to take the heat and all the all the email and the comments when we when we launch this. This anyway, is a good time to wrap. Yeah, this is. <laughs> you think? Ah. All right. Hey, thanks for listening to Second Cup of Joe and John. It's the Second Cup of Joe and John as their guests expound on any and all topics within the realm of decency. Want to be a sponsor? Let a TV and radio guy help build your business. Email joekingwx at gmail.com or text 615-289-1703. Now, hold on tight and grab another second cup of Joe and John.